Let the church say amen. 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 You know, today is a very special day, and it's a special occasion. And today, we license Casey Jumper as a way of recognizing the call of God on her life as a minister of the gospel. This is a big step for us. It's a big step for her. You know, the call of God on Casey's life has not been a snap decision. Casey set her feet on the path long ago to walk with God and to serve God. And she spent the last several years learning and studying and maturing and figuring out what, how to respond in obedience to God. I mean, we first saw her early in her college career at UMHB. She was working and serving through the Bell Association office. She came to us in 2012 as a staff intern in a part-time capacity. We supported her as she traveled throughout Bell County as a summer missionary working with lots of different churches with a group of young people that was very special. And they, they, they led Bible schools and they helped churches all summer long. Not quite a year later, we prayed for and supported her as we hired her on as our part-time children's minister. Then in late December of 2014, she was called as our full-time children's minister. Casey's done an extremely good job for us. And she makes us proud ministering to our children here at Memorial. The things that she plans, the activities that she organizes, the way she loves on these children, the way she teaches them and implants God's Word in their heart. See, in January of this year, as a church, we voted unanimously in church conference to license her to the gospel ministry. But you know, with the impending birth... Coming up in the Jumper family, we decided that it might be good to wait till a later date to license her. Well, today is the later date. And today, as a church body, we recognize God's calling on her life and desire to embrace how God is leading her in sharing the gospel with others. It's with great privilege and honor that today we license Casey Jumper to the gospel ministry. What I present to you, Casey, is a certificate of license that is uh, signed by by myself and in um, recognition of our church body wanting to put our stamp of approval that God is working in and through you, and we recognize that, and we license you today to to the gospel ministry. So God bless you. We also have just a small token of appreciation for all the work that you do, and thank you so much for being our children's minister and working with our children. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. 
I thank you for my sister Casey, and I pray, Father, that your hand would be upon her in all that she does. Father, as she raises Shiloh, as she ministers to her husband, we recognize those duties. But Father, we are so grateful for you calling her to be here to minister to our children. And Father, I thank you for the the gifts that you've given Casey. I thank you that she has a tremendous heart for you, Lord. I thank you that she loves the Word of God and that she wants to implant that and, and marinate our children in the Word of God. Father, I thank you for the the gifts of organization, the gifts that we see in her that you have given her and gifted her with. Father, that she is using for the building up of your kingdom. And Father, today we as a body, as a church body, recognize her and her contribution to your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for bringing her here to us. And Father, we just ask your richest blessings upon her. Thank you, Father, for loving her. Thank you for allowing us to love on her. Thank you, Father, for bringing her here to this place at this time. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do and all that you're going to do in and through Casey's life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. You know, it's amazing because we teach our children, we teach our children to love Jesus with all their heart. We teach them to be obedient to him and to his calling. We need to understand something this morning, that believing in Jesus means following Jesus no matter the cost. Following Jesus no matter the cost. Wherever he goes, we follow. Whatever he leads us in, we follow. See, every person who follows Jesus should expect to make sacrifices. We don't like to hear that. We think everybody else ought to make the sacrifices. But brothers and sisters, we are called to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. I mean, how much do you believe in Jesus? How much do you believe in him? Because Jesus made it clear that following him is costly. I mean, it may cost us. It may cost us some privileges that our world has to offer in order for us to follow Jesus Christ. It may cost us financially to follow Jesus Christ. It may cost us worldly success in order to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And in some cases, it may even cost us our lives. I can't be more serious than I am at this moment. In the reality, in the wake of what we saw happen last Sunday, we understand the gravity of that situation. That it may indeed cost us everything. Just as Jesus said it would. Make no mistake about it. 
It's not a warm feeling that we're after. It's the hope of all eternity. So we must expect to pay a price ourselves and we must let everyone know, we must let others know that following Jesus requires commitment and sacrifice. You know, it's, it's interesting because sometimes we, we hear the word on the street, you know. And Jesus wanted to know what the word on the street was. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. And if you want to turn there, we're going to camp out in the passage there. But I want to read out of John, or excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 13 and following. And it says this, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. <laughs> See, in the gospel, Matthew recorded that Jesus was, was walking and he was talking with his disciples in a region known as Caesarea Philippi. It's interesting because this region was located kind of north-northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And it was inhabited mostly by Gentiles. It was, on a, it, was, it was a very beautiful and picturesque spot that was up high on the hill, 1,100 feet above sea level, near the foot of the snow-capped Mount Hermon. You have a very picturesque spot that Jesus is with his disciples at. Now, I'm kind of biased, but I would say that you'd probably have to go to Oregon or somewhere like that to find a spot quite this beautiful. I, I see some people shaking their head no. You get the picture, though. You've got this snow-capped mountain. You've got this beautiful area. It's, it's high above sea level and a, a vast, beautiful view that they could see. Now, one of Herod the Great's three sons, Philip, he governed this region. And Philip took over when he was 16 and he reigned for 37 years. It was called Caesarea Philippi and it was notorious for its pagan worship. You have Baal, Baal. You also have the Greek god Pan. You also have Caesar. And all of these were worshipped among the people in this area. And, and they were among its leading little g-gods and idols. Now, this city contained many different shrines, many different monuments to all of these false religions with multiple images of these false gods. And it was in this environment that Jesus asks his disciples, this environment that is filled with pagan symbols and images, that he asks his disciples several questions. And Jesus asked his disciples, what are other people saying about me? What are people saying? Who do they, they say that I am? <laughs> the word on the street. I mean, Jesus had not yet you know, put himself and proclaimed himself as the Messiah. His favorite term for himself was the Son of Man. And so he, he calls himself the Son of Man. And the names that the disciples listed were all prophets. 
They said, well, some people, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist who's returned from the dead. Others are saying that you are Elijah. Oh, yeah, that one with passion, that one, you know, the, 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 the prophet. Others are saying Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet who, who showed compassion and concern over God's people, Israel. They're saying all of these prophets, and, and, and it's interesting because each prophet listed by the disciple fits one of the popular beliefs about who the Messiah would be. And folks, that was the word on the street. That's what people were saying about who Jesus is and was. So then he presses them a little bit deeper. What do you think? Look at verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he asked the disciples a little deeper. He says, but who do you say who do you say that I am? Wow. See, this question, it highlights the point that the important question is not what others say about Jesus, but who do you say that I am? I think this is very important because what is your personal answer to that question? Who do you say that Jesus is? Listen, nobody goes to heaven in a group. It's a personal decision that we make to follow Jesus Christ. Each of us must make that decision for ourselves. You have to answer that question somehow, some way. Who do you think, who do you believe that Jesus is? See, Peter made a crucial statement about Jesus' identity here. And this was the first time the title Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. The first time that title was used to address Jesus directly. It was used in the Old Testament more than 35 times. But in those instances, it was talking about either a king who was anointed, or a priest that was anointed, or a prophet that was anointed, and usually meant that they were anointed with oil. And Jesus accepted this title, and he knew that God the Father had revealed this to Peter. Nobody else told Peter that Jesus was the anointed one. It was revealed by God the Father to Peter that he was the Messiah. See, God hid the truth about Jesus from the religious leaders, but it was to these humble disciples that he revealed himself of who he really is. I love that because that tells me that the knowledge of God is a gift. The knowledge of who God is is a gift to each one of us. We can't earn it. We can't figure it out. We can't be smart enough. We can't be wise enough. We can't have enough money to figure out who God is. But the knowledge of God is a gift from God. See, Peter also stated 
that Jesus was the son of the living God. Don't pass that by. Because in contrast to all of these statues and monuments of these idols and little g gods, Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. The one true God. You see, Jesus is uniquely God's son. He's the one and only. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the one and only unique son of God. I love that because Peter's words reveal the culmination of all of Jesus' teaching, of all the experiences when Peter walked on the water, when when he saw the the loaves and fishes, when he saw the the 5,000 fed, when he saw all of these miracles. It's the culmination of all of the teaching and all of the experience that he had had with his disciples that he says, you are the son of the living God. You are Jesus, Messiah. See, it's because of this revelation that Jesus can move deeper with his disciples and tell them more about who he is and what his purpose here is. I mean, Peter gets the rewards of having the right answer. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And when he, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. See, Jesus said that Peter was blessed because he received this revelation from God. And and Jesus called Simon Peter. The word Petros. He called him Petros, which means rock. Jesus also said upon this rock he would build his church. See, Peter's confession about who Jesus is is the foundation of the church. What we share in common as believers in Jesus Christ is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is the one who gave His life for us so that our sins, yours and mine, would be forgiven. We make that confession and that is the foundation that the church is built upon. This confession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. Now, the word that he used for rock the second time was Petra, which means large rock. He did not intend for Peter himself that he would be the foundation of the church, but rather that Jesus would build his church on the foundation of his true identity, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which was proclaimed by Peter. See, Jesus also informed Peter and the other disciples that they would receive the keys of the kingdom. I mean, just just as he knew and just as Jesus ascended into heaven that these men were going to be the ones who carry the gospel 
to the uttermost part of the earth. That they would be the ones who, who carry it to the ends of the earth. And once the doors of the gospel were open to all the nations, there would be no more need for keys. See, you need to understand something this morning. Is that people who receive the gospel, people who receive the gospel are loosed from the power and the penalty of sin. People who receive the gospel. People who invite Jesus to come in and be their Savior and Lord. They are loosed from the penalty and the, the, the power of sin in their lives. And someday in heaven, we will be free from the presence of sin in our lives. See, people who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are bound by their sins and they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. See, here's truth. Here is truth that only God can give us a saving knowledge of His Son. Only God can reveal that to you. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling Peter, is that God has revealed to you that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I am the Lord. See, sometimes we need to know when to stop talking. I mean, really. Some of you are probably saying, well, wrap it up, preacher. We need to know when to stop talking. Look at verse 21. It says, from that time, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. See, Matthew demonstrated that after Jesus had made his identity known, he wanted to show his disciples and make his purpose known. And he's telling them, You're right. God told you that I'm the Messiah. Now let me tell you a little bit more. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. Notice in this verse, verse 21, it says, From that time. Don't look past it. This indicates a new stage, a new era, a new time frame. I mean, Jesus must have looked at his, his I, uh, iPhone watch that had just vibrated and said, you know, it's time. From that time, he moved forward. From that time, he began to move forward. And don't look past the word must. He said, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He must. It's his first clear statement about his death. He goes on to mention it three more times in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 17, in chapter 20, and in chapter 26. He says, the Son of Man will go to Jerusalem, will be killed, and will raise on the third day. 
Now, although Jesus told his disciples that he would be crucified, they still believed that he was going to be this revolutionary liberator that came in and threw the Romans out. They thought he was going to rally the troops, that he was going to come in and take over the land. And Peter, filled with the confidence of God's blessing, of Jesus' words of affirmation, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because God revealed this to you. He's still full of himself here. And he said, Lord, that will never happen. That shall never happen that you will go to Jerusalem and be killed. Because I'm going to see to it that that doesn't happen. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. You're a stumbling block to me. You're causing me to trip up. And Peter the rock just became Peter the stumbling block. Guilty. Guilty as charged. It happens to each of us each and every day. Where we mean to be a good example for Jesus Christ and we are the rock and we've been affirmed and all of a sudden we become a stumbling block to the gospel. Because we're thinking about us instead of thinking about him. Let me ask you a question. Have you listened to any bad advice from the enemy lately? Have you listened to any bad advice from the enemy lately? Because, folks, we are bombarded with it. We are bombarded with it. I mean, what was Peter's mistake? I mean, he was thinking like a man. Well, we'll just go in there and we'll, we'll make sure it doesn't happen. You know, he's, he's got that self-preservation attitude. I mean, we want to escape suffering and we want to escape persecution and certainly we want to escape death. But he didn't have God's mind on the matter. So let me ask you, Have you been mindful of the things of God lately? Or only your things? It's easy for us to do. That's why I bring it up. Because I know as a man how easy it is for me to put my mind on my things rather than on the things of God. And it's easy for each one of us. And we see Peter acting just like we do. I mean, Peter had enough faith to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. But he didn't have the faith to believe that it was right for Jesus to suffer and die. And for some reason, in America, we believers, we Christians, think that we will not have to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's a lie from Satan. Because persecution... Is coming. It's here. And we either admit it by pulling our head out of the sand and looking around and recognize it for what it is, or we say, That won't ever happen to me. 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 It will happen to you. 
Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Why would we expect it to be any different? But listen to the answer that he gives in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For everyone who wishes to save his life, everyone who wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So listen to the answer that Jesus gives here. He says the answer is to deny himself. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. And, and understand, is yourself at the center of your life? It's a fair question. Because we like to make it all about me. Or is Jesus Christ at the center of your life? See, it's not, it's not about you denying stuff. It's not about you denying things. It's about you denying you. It's to dethrone self and to put Christ on the throne in your heart. It's living a life where Jesus is the heart, He's the core, He's the center of your thinking, of your actions. See, by far, this aspect of the Christian life is the hardest to achieve. To deny self. Because every thought, every decision that we make naturally gets sifted through our self-filter. I mean, we constantly are asking ourselves, how will I benefit from this? What's in it for me? How can I benefit from this? How will it affect me? See, we need to crucify. We need to crucify ourself, our flesh, to the cross. Crucifying the flesh to the cross. When things are crucified, they tend to stay there. When things are crucified, they don't have an agenda. They can't. They can't go anywhere. And usually when things are crucified, they're facing in one direction. Oh, we are so flippant about things. We're hot and we're cold. We're hot and we're cold. Things that are crucified are dead. And when we talk about crucifying the flesh, we're talking about dying to the flesh. Crucifying the flesh. Being deliberate. Willful. Intentional about that. It's, it's a surrender of your everyday life. You see, it's not just a one-time thing. Well, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was seven. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was twelve. Well, congratulations. You're a child of the kingdom. But you know what? As a child of the king, you have to willfully, intentionally nail yourself to the cross every day. Amen. 
to die for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. And it's not about your opinion. Because your opinion doesn't matter. His opinion matters. And that's the only opinion that matters. You see, he says, take up your cross. And in this sense, your cross and my cross, it's the same. We choose daily to surrender our will. We choose daily to surrender our ways, our emotions, and all that we are to the Lord Jesus. And it's us choosing today and tomorrow that we're going to follow Him, whatever that requires. You need to understand something. Following Him is not always painful. You know, that's not always the worst thing that could happen would be following Jesus. We act like, oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do this and I can't have that and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do this and that. But you know what? Maybe God has something better for you. Amen. Maybe there is tremendous joy in that. Maybe it's not all pain and suffering. Maybe God has a plan for your life that if, as long as you're willing to surrender to Him, He will make that plan come true. But we're so defiant. And we want it our way. <laughs> Folks, following Jesus is not always the worst thing that could happen to you. Because I know in my life it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen. Being able to follow him. See, that becomes a way of life. Again, not denying the, the, the self of things, but putting Jesus at the center, putting Jesus at the heart, at the core of all your decisions, of all that you are walking through in life and every single day, that's what it means to take up the cross. And then he says, follow me. Present tense. Keep on following me. Keep on following me. See, after you confess him properly, then you have to come after him Intentionally. Because the way to glory is the way of the cross. Jesus showed us the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except by me, except through me. And what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, I will show you the way to glory. But it's by means of the cross. So denying self, choosing daily the Father's will, taking up your cross doesn't only speak of the suffering on it, but actually of doing the Father's will. Doing His will. And keeping close to Jesus. Following Him. That's how we find our true selves. See, self-denial is at the heart of biblical Christianity. I mean, he says there that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. <laughs> I mean, there's a major difference here between existing and living. I mean, existing is when your, your, your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing. You are existing. But to live, 
To live is to be in a world where everything is worthwhile, where everything has purpose, where there is peace in the soul and joy in the heart and and, and a thrill in every moment. We serve an awesome and wild God. And He loves us so very much. And you know, we don't even get excited about it most of the time. But we see God working in people's lives. We see the things that He takes care of in each one of our lives. We recognize that and we desire that. And I, I, I don't know why somebody wouldn't turn their life over to Jesus. I don't know. I don't understand that. But here's what happens. They do it as a child and they give their heart to Jesus. And then at some point, life sweeps in And our love for Him gets colder and colder and colder. Oh, we're still members of the church. We still pay our tithe. But where is the passion for Jesus Christ? Where is the One who died for our sins? How does He show up in our lives? How are we modeling that for those around us? You see, if we meet life with the constant search for safety, the constant search for security, for ease and for comfort, if every decision is taken from worldly, wise, and prudential motives, then we're losing all that makes life worthwhile. We're sapping the energy out of life. Because Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, those who seek their own interests first never find the satisfaction for which they seek. This whole sermon series has been about learning from Jesus. About being His disciple. And He's telling us, if you're in it for yourself, you're not going to be satisfied. No wonder Christians aren't satisfied. Because we want it both ways. But you see, I ask the question, who are you? Who are you? And why in the world are you here? Why has God left you here? Why are you still here today? if not for His purposes. I mean, where are you going? Because life is going somewhere. Life is going somewhere, but do you know where? Are you just bumping along or whatever happens? Because you're either denying yourself or you're living for yourself. It's one or the other. You're either denying yourself or you're living for yourself. And he says here that no temporal gain can compare to the loss of the soul. I mean, Jesus didn't just say, and I'm almost done, that unless we forsake all that we have, that we would find it hard or difficult to be His disciples. No, He laid it on the line when He said, unless we forsake all that we have, we cannot be His disciples. 
He says it three times in this passage. And unless we make that commitment, a total commitment, we cannot be his disciple. We have to be all in with him. We just can't have your left foot in and your right foot out. You've got to be all in with him in order to be his disciples. And it seems to me that Jesus said this so to weed out many of those would-be followers. Those who are lukewarm. Those who aren't hot and those who aren't cold, but those who think they have a part in the kingdom of God, but really don't. He reminds them in the midst of their following. He would turn to them and remind them of what following Him really would cost them. And as a result, many of them turned away from Him that day and quit following Him because they decided that the price was too high. See, I believe Jesus does the same thing to many of us today. Even to us in the church who already claim to know Him and to be His follower. I mean, we sincerely believe that we are following Jesus and believe that we have done that for most of our lives. And suddenly there comes a crisis moment. A time where Jesus says, are you all in or not? And suddenly we come face to face in a fresh way with the real cost of following Jesus. And suddenly we have to make a decision. Will we genuinely count the cost and continue to follow him? Or will we stop dead in our tracks? And will we, will we cling to our own life as the most precious thing to us and decide that we will not follow him any further? See, I'm not sure. But that there may even be several times in our lives in which the Lord finds it necessary to confront us with the cost of following Him. You see, because He loves us so much, He desires us so much that He wants us to have the genuine article. He doesn't want us to have something less than His salvation for us. He died on the cross for us. He loves us that much. And I believe that He is willing to do this again and again and again in our lives until we finally, He finally weans us off of the vain things of this world and truly has possession of our hearts. And right now, at this very moment, you may be asking yourself, what should I do with Jesus? But understand, one day, one day the question will become, what will Jesus do with me? Is he going to say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you.
You see, you have that choice today. Will you follow him or will you cling to yourself? Because that's the choice. To deny self and to follow him or to choose self and not be a part of him.